get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Today is Friday, October 30th, so tomorrow, Michelle, is Halloween. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. Are you dressing up for Halloween? Ooh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I, I have before, but I don't even know if kids are coming to my house tomorrow. <laughs> have you developed uh, some sort of mechanism to get candy to the kids, or are you just kind of waiting to no, see what happens? We do have a plan in place. Uh, we're going to, we've got these giant uh, bowls that we put candy in, and so we've each piece or a couple of pieces of candy, because we're a big candy bar house, yeah. has been put in a bag, and then the kids are able to just take a bag out of the uh, the giant bowl, if Love they that. so desire. Unsurprising, too, that you're a big candy bar house. Oh, we better be. Yeah, that that's very on brand for you. <laughs> so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to today. We want to hear your sports nightmares coming up at the bottom of the hour and throughout the show. I've got one for you. I've got, as you know, I'm a tortured soul, so I've got multiple sports nightmares, but gonna, I've got a real special one for you. Should we just open the floor, that segment, to you? <laughs> I, I thought about this last night as I was coming up with mine. I will never forget, before the Blues won the Stanley Cup, when you would just rattle off all of the things that had happened to the St. Louis Blues in your lifetime that led you to believe that they were cursed. So that could really just be the entire segment. Yeah, I, I have a few nightmares. <laughs> we're also going to talk to Dave Duncan, the longtime pitching coach for Tony Larusa, who was hired yesterday as as manager of the Chicago White Sox. Michelle, if somebody would have told you one week ago today that on this day, October 30th, we'd be talking about White Sox manager Tony LaRusso, what would you have thought? I would have said, what? No way. No way. So I, I came up with a great stat yesterday that I texted you. The last time Tony LaRusso managed the White Sox, and he's returning after a... Uh, long stint away from the White Sox. And by the way, tons of coaches and managers have come back to manage their teams, but very few have come back after 34 years. The last time Tony Larusa managed a game for the White Sox was a couple of months before you were born. <laughs> so it's been a while. It's <laughs> yeah. been a minute. <laughs> for, for him. But he was announced yesterday. Jerry Reinsdorf obviously uh, was huge in this, the 84-year-old White Sox owner and their longtime friends. And Reinsdorf has said before, my biggest regret in baseball is allowing Hawk Harrelson to fire Tony Larusa. So he was available, and Tony was restless. Last time he managed a game, the 2011 World Series, and he hated being upstairs. I did get a fresh uh, opinion, obser- observation point for how difficult front office work is. Uh, I got better feel for scouting and player development, all that thing, but my heart was always in the dugout. And to that, uh, when the first inquiry was made about the White Sox, I perked up because 
being frustrated being upstairs, but more particularly, I think all managers would understand this. I think everybody would understand this, how rare it is to get an opportunity to manage a team that's this talented and this close to winning. Most of the time, your chances are, are the opposite. So the combination of looking forward to getting back down there and, and checking myself, you know, to have the energy and all that stuff and the White Sox making the call with a chance to win sooner rather than later. I'm excited that they, they made that choice and looking forward to uh, what's ahead. And I have to believe that in Tony's heart, because he managed in Oakland, one World Series, he managed in St. Louis, one World Series, he's got to have a belief that there's some unfinished business there with the White Sox too, right? This is, reminds me of the Michael Jordan mentality. It's personal for him. Yeah. This is something that he has wanted for a long time, and he's looking at this opportunity and saying, this is a team that's built to win, and I know that I can go in there and put them in the position to win, and I could take another World Series championship home and add that to my legacy. Absolutely. But for all those people out there that are questioning this, and we're going to get to a lot of that throughout the show, but even just that soundbite of Tony Larusa. Other managers should be concerned because you have arguably the manager in the history of the game who for the past several years has been learning more about the game of baseball and the intricacies of how things are going. He has a better appreciation and a a better distinction of the front office and how that works and scouting and all of these other things that he's been acquiring and learning during this time that he's adding to an unbelievable body of work and an Mm -hmm. unbelievable baseball mind. That's a scary thought. Yeah, for other managers, if you you are, for example, Kevin Cash. <laughs> you might say, I have a chance to get out managed pretty badly here. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are going to be playing checkers to his chest, that's for sure. Did Tony have any reservations at all about taking this job? I was surprised when I first got the call. And the second conversation, I, I had thought about it more and and had my reservations based on why I retired uh, after 2011. Uh, and was challenged about those reservations. And the more I thought about it, and this is like the next day or two, I seriously thought, you know, if you put exactly what I mentioned before, being upstairs for, you know, what, nine years, watching the game closely, it was, I've described to my friends as torture because you're seeing it and you can't do anything about it. So soon thereafter, I realized I was either gonna have to stop complaining about being upstairs or go downstairs. And if you're going to go downstairs and you have an opportunity like you have with the White Sox, that's when it got serious. That is so typical, Tony, isn't it? That it's torture for him. Even though he's in the game, he's at the games, it's torture for him to be upstairs and be watching the game unfold. And as he said, he can't do anything about it. That is so him. Now, the game has changed in the last nine years. There's no doubt about it. From 2011 to 2021, the intervening years have seen a dramatic change in baseball. We saw it in Game 6 of the World Mm -hmm. Series the other night. The Rays did not want their pitcher to see a lineup. Despite the fact that the pitcher was pitching great, they didn't want him to see a lineup for the third time. So what kind of changes will Tony make? But I do know that and I think I have a good experience at this in the sense that the, 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 once a game starts, it's a very volatile ex- experience. Players, not machines, how they how they vary, how the game may, may be changing within innings, much less series, game to series. That's why I think it's more important. It's very important that you 
you know, we use the, the term observational analytics. Once you got all that preparation, you got to watch the game and be ready. To, and and uh, so I think the difference is the preparation will be will be better. Looking forward to it, but the actual game decision making will be much like what what I learned. You, know, you watch the game and figure out how to put people in a position to win. Okay, the first thing I thought of there was that the Rays would have had a much better chance to win the game, game six, on Tuesday night if Tony Larusa would have been in their dugout. No Ob- doubt. Observational analytics. You do the preparation, you understand the matchups, you understand the numbers, but you watch it with your eyes mm-hmm. and you get a feel. And it's common sense half the time. Yes, the numbers might say something, but if you're watching Blake Snell deal like that and you're in game six of the World Series... It seems like common sense at that point to let him stay in, yeah. no matter what the numbers tell you. Now, Michelle, my concern here with Tony is at the age of 76, does he have the energy to do this for an entire season? I don't question his mental acuity or his understanding of the game. I, I think it's great. I don't have any question at all about his ability to relate to those players. And he's bilingual. He grew up in a family where they spent, they, they spoke Spanish in his household when he was a kid. So he'll be able to relate to these Cuban players. My question is, is he going to be able to physically and mentally make it through a season? Because it's a grind for a really young person. It's mm-hmm. it's a grind for a young broadcaster to travel as much as baseball teams do. So what's it going to be for a 76-year-old man that puts as much into it as Tony does. I couldn't agree. I think that he's obviously smart enough to adapt and fit into this era of baseball. I think that there's certain aspects of his personality that while he certainly is going to preach that he wants his team to play a hard nine and to play baseball the right way, but I, I don't see him trying to tone down any players or their personalities. He's going to try to extract the best out of them, and if that's part of it, I don't, I don't see any issue with him adapting to that but to your point not only is it a grind from a travel standpoint from a preparation standpoint but we know tony larusa this is something that is 24 7 365 for him Mm -hmm. he never takes his foot off the gas and i know a lot of managers now so much of it is delegated at this point whether it's to the analytics or they have all these other coaches and while we know Tony La Russa has done that in the past there's not Dave Duncan standing next to him in the dugout and I wonder how much of this he's going to want to have his fingerprints on and how stressful and time consuming that's going to be for him one of the questions that came up yesterday and I, I was kind of surprised not, not that the question came up because the game again is different but the White Sox have a very animated shortstop who loves to bat flip named Tim Anderson. And they have a lot of other players. Obviously, the the Cuban players play with a a certain flair. And Tony was asked about letting the kids play. I've seen how that has impacted players emotionally. A great example was Eck all those years when he had that very expressive fist pump when he got the third out. Uh, That's a lot like what you see today. And I always reasoned it that if it's sincere, I didn't have a problem with it. And what I see now is that with players that are being more exuberant, I take, uh, you know, Anderson, Tim Anderson, for an example. Now it's it's people showing that, hey, I'm coming through. Uh, in fact, Major League Baseball is, in, is, in, in, uh, is encouraging them to do so. And if I see that it's sincere and it's directed towards the game, that's displaying, displaying the kind of emotion that you want. You know, as a, as a coach, what you want to do is you want to get players passionately involved with the competition 
And if you do that, that's how you, you get exciting games, you're entertaining. So the fact that now that we're encouraging players to be more expressive, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to treat like Tim, for example, part of the family. And, uh, and you know, the only thing I say, and, and uh, even some of the people I talk to, if, if, if your team celebrates and that their team celebrates, then neither team can be upset when, when, when you see celebrations as long as everybody's doing it sincerely. You go back to Jose Canseco. You go back to Albert Pujols, who had a tendency to watch home runs. I don't think Tony does have a major issue with that. He brought up Eckersley. Not everybody is going to be McGuire Mm -hmm. or Scott Rowland and just hit the ball out of the ballpark, put their head down, and circle the bases. Not everybody's going to be like that. And Tony, when he says they're men, not machines, he understands the individualism of the game. I don't think that's going to be an issue for him at all. And I think he brought up Tim Anderson. That was that was a pointed response. That was, a, I know what your criticisms of me are. I know your questions and why you think that my approach might not adapt to, to modern baseball. And here's the example that I'm going to give you based on your concerns. Yeah. Michelle, I remember asking Dick Vermeil when he got hired by the Rams. I said, can you do what you did in Philadelphia here? And he was... 61 years old at the time. He hadn't coached in 14 years. By the way, I think today might be DV's birthday. I got to send him a text. Uh, but <laughs> let's look that up. He said, uh, "Hey, players just want to be coached." He said, "We will build a family atmosphere here, but at the end of the day, players just want to be coached." And that's the same thing with Tony. Players ultimately they just want to win and be be managed to be able to win. And if you have players who already love the game so much and they're so passionate, imagine combining that with a Tony Larusa intensity yeah. and what that could do to advance them as a player. Right. And so those players are going to benefit from Tony Larusa being their manager at the end of the day. I think a lot of people who are complaining about this hire might not have watched a lot of Tony Larusa baseball because, as we always said, it was so fun when he was your guy. I understand not liking him if you were a fan of an opposing team, mm-hmm. but having him be your yeah. guy, you liked him. Some fans questioned him. He he probably drove some fans nuts at the time, but guess what? It resulted in winning and an identity. And coming up at 845, we're going to talk to Dave Duncan, of course, of course Tony's longtime pitching coach, who will not be joining him in the dugout in Chicago, but will apparently at least somehow be a consultant for Tony. Coming up, we want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got our and your peak and pit of the week on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, time for our peak and pit of the week. And the origin of this segment uh, goes back many, many moons to when people actually traveled. And Michelle, what? what is that? Yeah, M- Michelle would get together with her group of friends on a trip at the end of the trip, and the final dinner would have yeah. our peak and pit, right? Yeah, we would go around the dinner table and we would reflect on the trip because the last night of a trip is usually the pit. You got to pack, you're worried about getting early, up early to go to the airport to make your flight. So usually we would do one final dinner, maybe some wine involved. And we would go around and say the peak and the pit of the trip. And everybody usually had a different one, which made it really fun. Because then you're reflecting on the great time that you just had together. So what we're doing is we're doing our peak and pit of the week. And we welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, what is your peak and pit of the week? So my peak is something we just talked about last segment, Randy. It's that Tony La Russa is back 
managing baseball. I was so pumped when I heard the news that it was official because I love baseball. I want more people to love baseball. And I think baseball is in a better place when Tony La Russa is standing on the top step of the dugout. I think it's going to be so interesting to see how he adapts to this modern era of baseball and how he changes this White Sox team. And I think they're going to continue to be a good team and even better with him there. That's a good one. I like that peak. And it's just now we have another team to watch yeah, and pay right. attention to. Good point. So we've got the Cardinals. We've got the Rays. We've got the White <laughs> We've got all of these teams that we're going to be paying attention to now. Oh, by the way, La Russa managing against Matheny 19 times a year. Interesting. Yeah. So 19 and 0? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is this going to be like a Nick Saban thing against his former assistant? Yeah, exactly. That's what it'll be. <laughs> no one will touch him. Absolutely. Yeah. So my pit actually was the candy draft yesterday. So if you didn't listen, be sure to check out the podcast on 101ESPN.com. We did a candy draft. It doesn't matter what the polls say. I know in my heart (laughs) that I won the candy draft because I think I picked some things that not a lot of people are familiar with. And had they known how delicious a Kinder Bueno bar is, maybe they'd throw some respect on my draft. But Randy. (laughs) Did we say respect? Respect. Yes. Randy and Scott, this was a pit for me because all day, all I thought about was candy. I want candy so badly, and I am the only one standing. The cheese stands alone for 75 hard, and I cannot enjoy candy on Halloween. And that is a massive pit. Well, and crazy enough, I told Randy yesterday, I went to the grocery store, and I decided to buy a bag of Kit Kats. (laughs) I want a bag of Child's Play, you know, those bags that has all of the candies in it at once. I want that so badly. I want the mini Twix. I want the the mini Twix two-pack Starburst where if you're lucky, you get a pink and a yellow and you can bite (laughs) half and half and make it into a strawberry lemonade. I want the joy of opening it and not having double orange. I miss candy. (laughs) And so having to talk about it all day yesterday was a pit. So double orange is a pit? Double Randy, yes. Double orange is for sure a pit. You still have 41 minutes to get your vote in. It (laughs) seems a fait accompli that the the team Randy is going to come away with a victory here. Uh, because I do have 61.1% of the votes. Team Michelle at 21.9 and Team Scott at 16.9. Dang it. <laughs> My Shoot. peak of the week, Michelle, was last Saturday night. You you talked about the joy of opening uh, Starburst and not getting the double orange. How about the joy of Randia Rosarena getting to home plate in a walk-off win, 8-7 for the Rays in Game 4 of the World Series, and Tapping his hand on the plate with that smile. So well, good. And just the way that they won the game and Joe Buck's call and Brett Phillips' joy, that was my peak of the week. That moment reminds you why sports are so important. Mm-hmm. Because there's people all over the country watching that game that might not have a severe rooting interest in that, that are up out of their beds because it was late at night yelling at the TV with joy because they just watched something spectacular. Yeah. And my pit of the week is being a loser and uh, <laughs> and loser, realizing that uh, those 27 days of working hard for 75 hard went by the boards because I was too much of a wuss to go out in the rain and cold for back-to-back days and work out. Your big, big misstep was that you didn't do what I did and make sure that you're planning your day around the one window when it's not raining. And that day, Randy, there was a window. It was after 6 o'clock, right before the World Series game. You just had to sneak out at the right time. Or I could have done the 4.30 in the morning thing, I guess. 
I did that once, and I will never be doing that again. <laughs> never. Okay, good. All right, we welcome your text, Mike Drops. Scotty, what does Europe, you, you've got to have a pit and peak of the week. Yeah, I'll start with uh, my peak of the week. It's not sports related, but guys, I love Halloween a lot, and I got to carve pumpkins yesterday. I haven't gotten to carve in the last couple of years, so it started out as a peak to be able to do that, but you, you guys have carved pumpkins before. Oh, yeah, sure. When, yeah. You, when you make the mouth, you like draw, I, I use a pen to draw it mm-hmm. so I can look it out. So I put two teeth in there. Problem was, I forgot to carve down and up and around, so I went around and then tried to put the teeth in there, and obviously you know that the the teeth weren't there. (laughs) So it went from a peak to a pit pretty quick. (laughs) Um, And then my real pit was honestly Wednesday night. There was no sports on. I mean, it was the first time in a long time to where I turned on my TV at 7 o'clock, and I didn't have any sporting event to go look at, and it was was definitely a pit. Yeah, we had like a uh, a Halloween pillowcase full of sports mm-hmm. for months and then to have nothing on Wednesday was bizarre. Wednesday reminded us that these next few weeks as we get into winter they're going to be long, dark, and cold without sports yeah. on a lot of the weeknights. Absolutely. And we welcome your text the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 636. My peak was listening to Michelle dominate the candy draft. Thank you. A++. Plus plus. Oh, thank you. Uh, their pit is remembering that they gave up sweets for New Year's and have made it this far and can't give in to those amazing candies. If you have given it up as a New Year's, re- how many people don't make it past the first week of January with their New Year's resolutions? Most. Me included. 636, if you have made it till the end of October and you have given up sweets for the entire, if you have given up sweets during quarantine, you cannot quit now. You cannot no. quit. The no, finish line is within your sights. You have to continue. Do not let those amazing Halloween candies trip you up. Exactly. Exactly. Just keep pushing through. Keep pushing. From the 314, his pit of the week, um, or hers, was a hell of a week at work. Um, the peak was got long-term girlfriend back in life again. Well, good. Congratulations. Yeah. And is it, even if you had a terrible work week, getting your long-term girlfriend back in your life again, that trumps everything. It does. Yeah, it's a good thing. We hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know the circumstances, but... I, like, I, for example, I what if what uh, she was up. the long-term girlfriend, had to go away to the clink for 10 years for murder or something, and then is out now? If it was only 10, ten years, it's probably second degree. Yeah. So when you... you, you <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what if... Your long-term girlfriend is back in your life by breaking into your apartment and boiling your bunny. Fatal attraction style? Yeah. Bunny in the pot? Mm-hmm. You're not great. <laughs> but I guess that wouldn't be a peak. That would be more of a pit. Yeah, I don't think that's a peak at all. <laughs> and this sounds like, if I'm reading the tea leaves here, that this person wanted this girlfriend back in their life. I lives. agree. It sounds like that. So, so that's a good thing. Congratulations Congrats. to you guys, the happy couple. Yeah, and 314, if you're looking for any uh, relationship advice or anything you want to ask, email us at uh, askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com, and we can get to it uh, coming up next Wednesday. From the 636, my peak is seeing the trees change and fall finally being here. My pit was hearing Mo tell us that the Cardinals were not going to be spending this offseason. Uh, that peak weekend lasted, uh, that fall lasted, what, a couple days? A couple days. Yeah. But that's St. Louis for you. Yeah. You know that you better take advantage of those days while you have them because in the blink of an eye, those cold winds come in, the rains come, and boom, it's winter. I was not disappointed to hear that the Cardinals are probably going to be inactive this offseason because I expected it. Mm -hmm. When you are 
in a situation. Look what has happened to so many companies and so many people are still unemployed because of this pandemic. And baseball isn't putting people in their stands. And the Cardinals do generate a lot of their income based on ticket revenue. So I'm not at all surprised that the Cardinals aren't going to make moves. Would we love them to make moves? Yes, but they're in, they're all about profit margin. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. The update on the long-term girlfriend back in life again from the 314. No murder, guys. Good. Okay. Good. Positive. All right. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. Coming up on this Halloween, we want your all-time sports nightmares. What keeps you up at night? What haunts you? That has happened in sports. I've got one, and Michelle's got one, and Scotty's got one, and we know that you've got them. Text 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. We'd love to hear from your voice with the Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. Sports Nightmares next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It makes your skin crawl. Travis Ishikawa hits one. You up at night. Going to this second overtime. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. It haunts you forever. The NFL owners proved the return of the Los Angeles Rams to the market. It's your worst sports nightmares. Oh my, what a bad start. I'm already in a terrible mood. (laughs) So, that's basically what we're looking for there. And we've already heard some of the texts that we have. Eiserman, 1996, John Casey. Is there a worse nightmare? I don't know. 85 World Series, Denkinger's blown call. We're going to we're going to hear that because a lot of you are tortured by that. Anthony Stalter, tortured by this. So if you're walking down the hall here at 101 ESPN and Anthony Stalter's walking the other way and you just say 28-3, he just gets, he turns ghost white on Halloween. Scary. And he puts his head down and he kind of just shuffles along. It's almost like he faints. He, he almost like collapses. All you have to do is say 28-3 and it's over. It's for him. How can you ever get over that? You don't. You don't. It haunts you, you forever. It's a sports nightmare. Yeah. I have one that's kind of obscure, Michelle. And we did get a text in regards to Neil O'Donohue missing that kick against Washington at the end of the 1984 football season. For me, it happened earlier. November 11, 1984, the Cowboys here at Bush Stadium. Dallas has a 24-17 lead over the Big Red. And late in the fourth quarter, the Cardinals take momentum away when Neil Lomax hits Roy Green, perhaps, by the way, the most underrated wide receiver in NFL history, for a 37-yard touchdown pass on third down, despite the fact that Cowboys cornerback Everson Walls was mugging Green down the field. But, but, back judge Pat Millette, never forgotten his name, <laughs> called offensive pass interference against Green, even though he didn't touch Walls. Everyone in the stadium was aghast. The Cardinals didn't convert on fourth down and wound up losing 24-17. After the game, Walls goes to Green and apologizes for the call. Said he wouldn't give it back, but he was sorry it turned out that way. He knew what he had done. Terrible, terrible, terrible call. 
If Pat Millette doesn't make that call, the Cardinals tie the game. They have all the momentum, and they win it in overtime over the Cowboys. They don't have to worry about O'Donohue missing a 50-yard field goal in the wind in Washington. The best Jim Hannafin team here in St. Louis would have played Chicago, and Hannafin dominated the Bears. Then they would have played San Francisco, a team they matched up with very well. And So my nightmare is uh, that play. But after that season, Bill Bidwell made his initial plea for a new stadium. A playoff run enthuses the community, probably gets us a new stadium. If Pat Millette makes the right call there, Michelle, Pat Millette, back judge, the football Cardinals never leave St. Louis. That is my sports nightmare. And it must be a nightmare that continues because one of my sports nightmares, Randy, has to do with something similar. Let me take you back, Randy. October 20th, 2013. Not a lot to be excited about regarding Rams football here in St. Louis. The team hasn't been good for a long time. There's rumors, Randy, the streets are talking that the team could potentially move. You have an owner who's not engaged with the team and or the community, but there is a glimmer of hope, and it's the number one overall draft pick, the starting quarterback, QB1 Sam Bradford. And a game versus the Carolina Panthers that the Rams ultimately went on to lose, 30-15, to 15. the nightmare was this. Carolina rushes four. Sam steps up, has to escape, going to run with it at the 35, and now he loses the football. It's out of bounds. Oh, Harvey no. Dahl comes over oh, just to no. take care of Mike Mitchell. Sam's grabbing his knee. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no. I think he got yanked down and hurt. may have hurt his knee. He's rolling around grabbing his knee. As DeMarco Farr said, oh, no. Oh, no. Fans were wondering, what is this going to have on the impact of the future of the Rams and of the team? Can Sam ever come back from this injury and be the quarterback that we need him to be? Not that we hope he can be, that we need him to be. Sam rehabs. He comes back looking better and stronger than ever. I remember seeing the videos of him. He looked huge. We thought, wow, he doesn't even look like this guy was injured. Can't wait for the preseason in 2014. And then the nightmare continued, Randy. August 23rd, 2014, preseason game versus the Browns. Sam takes, looks left, throws left sideline. Jared Cook can't make the catch. Well covered. Craig Robertson has been all over the place. The inside oh, no. linebacker makes the stop. And Sam is slow to get up. He's on his knees. I didn't see what happened to Bradford after he released the football. He took a shot at the end. A guy came free at the end, just wrapped him up and bent him forward, maybe hyperextended the knee. As DeMarco Farr said again, oh no. It was not, in fact, a hyperextension. It was another ACL tear. And it leads a lot of people to wonder if Sam Bradford could have stayed healthy and been the quarterback that he was drafted to be and the Rams could have been good and maybe won some games, would that have made the process for them to leave a little bit harder? You would hope so. I, I would think that the league would have might have taken a different look. Yeah, that was that was terrible. You know what, Michelle? It's interesting that the Rams did so many things to us. We heard about the move at the beginning. We, we hear your sports nightmare. I don't know that I've ever been in more of a funk than after Adam Vinatieri <laughs> oh, man. hit a field goal in Super Bowl thirty six in New Orleans in early February. And I, w- I was probably in a funk for a month, and then it was just all brought to the fore again in 2007 when we learned that the Patriots had cheated. But this is where it all started. This has been a year of Vinatieri and, and making some great kicks against the Raiders, two of the greatest kicks that I've ever seen in my life. Here comes one of greater importance if he makes it, and it's right down the pipe. 
was awful. So they win the game 20 to 17, the Patriots do. And it's it's just a horrible sports nightmare that that's one that does keep you up at night. I have one sports nightmare that is so horrific that I have never gotten over it. You mentioned cheating, Randy, mm-hmm. and I too have a sports nightmare that is entangled with cheating. 2005 Illinois basketball team. It was a team of destiny, Randy. This was the most exciting and electric basketball team in my lifetime that I will ever see. I was never more invested in a team than I was in that 2005 Illini basketball team. Save from a buzzer beater from Ohio State and the last game of the regular season, they were perfect. Number one seed, they go to the NCAA tournament. They are rolling right through a game versus Arizona. Unbelievable. They make a great comeback. They go on to the national championship game. You think this is a team of destiny. Nothing is going to stand in their way. And then something big stood in their way. And his name was Sean May. They let Darren Williams drive. Kick out. Five seconds. Illinois has to get off the shot. Rebound Carolina with one second. And that is it. There is a new team in college basketball. North Carolina takes the title. And Jim, guys, now three of the last four years from their alma maters have won the national championship. Gary Williams, Beheim, and now Roy Williams. UNC might have took the title, Randy. They weren't taking any classes. We later find out their players accounted for 35 enrollments in classes that didn't meet and yielded. They were in a big academic scandal at the time. The players weren't going to class. So not only did that Illinois team lose the national championship game, you later find out that it was with a team that was cheating. They weren't even going to school. Student athletes. Give me a break. So, the, yeah, really, athletes, not student athletes. Give me a break. You think D. Will, you think D. Brown and Darren Williams want to go to class, and that they would have rather been practicing and getting ready? Of course. Sounds like it's kind of ripped your heart out a little bit. It's a nightmare. Keeps me awake. We get a text from the three one four with just two words: Big Poppy. Ugh. The rookie can bring it. Mid nineties. Ortiz gets under it to right will it carry? Yeah, and he wound up starting off that series, Big Poppy, and before the series, we're doing the fast lane, and I said, okay, my big thing for this series, pick out a guy that is not going to beat you, and for me, it's David Ortiz. Don't (laughs) let Big Poppy beat you. He starts off not only with that home run in game one, he starts off that series 10 for 13. 10 for 13, and BT keeps keeps saying, well, the, the Cardinal... Pitchers are saying, you haven't seen my fastball. Somebody's going to get him out. Well, no, they never did. And even now, recently, within the last couple of weeks, David Ortiz asked Adam Wainwright, hey, why did you guys keep pitching to me in 2013 World Series? What, he ended up hitting 688 or something outrageous? in the MVP of that World Series. It was nuts. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the biggest and the most prolific, and we've got multiples of this from the 636 and the 314 and other area codes around the world. One to nothing, St. Louis. The Cardinals three outs away. Little squibber to the right side. Worrell races over to cover. The throw doesn't get him. Worrell got to the bag and an argument here, and here comes Herzog amongst the other quartet. Throw. He's scored! 
Yeah, and then it was 11 nothing in the seventh. 11 nothing. the Royals won that game. <laughs> Don Dankinger. Nightmare. Can I give you one more? Always. You brought up the uh, fighting Illini, and we I don't think we have the highlight for this, but how about fifth down for Mizzou? Oh, a lot of people wrote that one in. Yep. Number one, Colorado. They're in town. They get the fifth down, and they go out and win the national championship because they get the play on fifth down. So you had an entire officiating crew. You had an entire chain gang. You had two coaching staffs. You had a bunch of players, and nobody realized or at least was willing to listen to the fact that the Buffaloes were getting a fifth down. Unreal. Hey, we've got a lot of these. We're going to use them throughout the course of the show. We appreciate your text, 65780. And absolutely, we want your Rhino Shield mic drops as well. We're going to hear some of the, some more of your feedback on this Halloween, your sports nightmares. But next up, it's Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> So I told you about that call in the last segment that keeps me up at night. Bob Underwood from uh, Big Red STL on Twitter has tweeted the play to me, and it almost almost makes me cry. Uh, when, <laughs> oh when man, I, it, it's so bad. So yeah. I just retweeted it. So if you want to check me out on Twitter at Randy Carricker or go to Michelle's Twitter page at M Smallman, it's unbelievable how bad that call was. You just showed it to me during the break, and I could not believe it. Offensive pass interference. People should also follow you on the gram, too. Oh, yeah. I'm at uh, RJ Carricker on the on the Insta. How about you? M. Smallman on Twitter and IG. Can I tell you something, Michelle? Always. And as a matter of fact. You're kind of paid to. This will, yeah, this will lead into uh, my take it or leave it. So we have a, a beautiful year and a half, uh, almost, well, she's a year and a half, old golden retriever named Darby Shaw, who has her own Instagram page, Golden Darby Shaw. Wow. Uh, and Golden Darby Shaw has more followers than I do. So uh, take it or leave it. As a radio personality, I need to upgrade my Insta game to have more followers than my dog. Gotta take it. Stop what you're doing right now. Give Randy a follow on Instagram. His dog, (laughs) as beautiful as she is, cannot have more followers than you. No, and I think she's got me by a pretty significant margin at the moment. Dog Instagram is huge. Yeah, it is. But you probably beat her on Twitter. I think collective number of followers. You crush her. Yeah. She doesn't even. She doesn't even have Twitter. She's not smart enough to use that. She's. She, she has. Uh, she's really verbose, so nice. she just can't uh, limit herself to a few characters. And she has takes her a long time too because she doesn't have thumbs. Yeah. One Darby Shaw's got you by four hundred followers right now, Randy. Ooh. It's two thousand and uh, twenty-seven to about sixteen twenty-seven. Yeah, I need to up that game. We both do. We need to start sharing some behind-the-scenes content on our Instagram yeah, that's a good stories. Idea. We just get to talking during the breaks and stuff. We need to give the content to the people. We're just not that exciting during the breaks, really. (laughs) Okay, guys, so we just were reliving some horrific sports nightmares. Take it or leave it. When we do this segment three years from now, Randy Rosarena is going to be at the top of the list. I'm going to take that. Yes, I, I think that we will be looking back on that and have just horrific visions of what he has done in Major League Baseball relative to what the Cardinals got for him. He'll still be playing. Mm-hmm. He might be in the postseason year after year. Yeah. Cardinals fans will have to watch him develop into this superstar. It'll be a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. Yep. 
Scotty, what do you got for us? The Air Comfort Service text line is 65780 for Take It or Leave It. This one comes from the 314. Speaking of the Randy A trade, Take It or Leave It. The Randy A trade hurts, but the Patriots just basically giving away Jimmy Garoppolo will hurt that franchise worse in the long run. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. Because I don't know if he's that good. And I think he would have left as a free agent. Mm -hmm. I don't think they would have been able to keep him around because the perception of him was so great. They had... I know that Brady didn't want him around, but he also would have been a free agent a year later, and I don't think they would have been able to keep him around anyway. So getting a second rounder for him, actually, I think it turns out pretty good. Yeah. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. Jordan Bennington will not be a nightmare next season, and he will win the Vesna. I'll take it. I'm going to half take it. I don't think he's going to be a nightmare next year, but I'm not ready to say hardware just yet. Okay. Hardware. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we need your text for Take It or Leave It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 636, Take It or Leave It. The Square Beyond Compare is better than Chicago Deep Dish. I'll take it. Deep Dish is trash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have to use a fork to eat it, it's not pizza. I love deep dish pizza. I make a deep dish pizza on the Traeger that is to die for. It's fantastic. Well, if you make it, I'm sure it's good. Uh, but no, I make it a point. If I drive up to Chicago, I pick up two or three or four frozen Giordano's pizzas and bring them home. I love deep dish pizza. More than the Square Beyond Compare? Who no, are you? No, come on. Mr. St. Louis over yeah, here? Yeah, no, the Square Beyond Compare Blaster. is better, but I would not go so far as to say that deep dish is trash. But yeah, you always... Here's the thing. Could I ever eat uh, an entire deep dish pizza? No. Can I eat an entire Emo's pizza? Yes. Yeah, because deep dish is so dense. You can barely get through one slice. Yeah, Emo's pizza is delicious. Deep dish is the almond joy. Of the pizza world. I love them both. <laughs> you have some suspect taste. <laughs> Your palate is a little questionable for me. By the way, I got a lot more positive Almond Joy feedback than negative yesterday. Which is outrageous to me. I think it's one of those things that everybody just doesn't tell you because it's just common knowledge. Almond Joys are just bad. I think Almond Joys are just controversial. I think that they either love them or you hate them. What we have learned is there's no gray area with Almond Joy. No, there really isn't. You either ride really hard for it and get defensive if people call it trash or you think it's in fact trash. Somebody brings up Almond Joy and nobody just goes, eh, all right. it, it, It brings about a visceral reaction, which is great. From the 314. I love Almond Joys, by the way. And Michelle? <laughs> Trash. Trash. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. From the 314, take it or leave it. As long as Tony LaRusso is the manager for the White Sox, the Cubs will never win more games in the same season. Take it. I'm going to take that. Yeah. For more reasons just than Tony LaRusso being the manager. That's yeah. a team on the ascent. They've got a lot of talent there. The Cubs have a lot of question marks. The And they're going to have more question marks by the time spring training starts next year. It's mm-hmm. going to be great. From the 618, take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson's numbers will be better than Randy A's next season. I got to leave that. I'm going to leave it. That would be awesome, though. I would like it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to have like Randy A in left and Carlson in center next year? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that would be a blast. That would be a blast. Tossing out ideas. Go get him back. The the thing that really stinks for Dylan Carlson, the... Ascent of the rapid, rocket-like ascent of Randy Rosarena stinks for two people, Dylan Carlson and Matthew Libertor. Because yeah. both of them, while already having pressure on them to be great for this franchise, all of a sudden have a lot more mm-hmm. pressure that they don't deserve. 
From the 618, take it or leave it. If Yachty goes to the White Sox, it will hurt more than if he went to the Yankees. Leave it. I'm going to leave it too because I can't fault him for wanting to go there and reunite with TLR. Best manager you ever had. And it's a team that could be built to win. Yeah. He would fit in so well with them. Yeah. I couldn't fault. I'm not going to fault him whatever he he chooses to do. He's earned the right to make that decision. And if he doesn't find a fit with the Cardinals, by all means, you need to do what's best for you. But seeing him with the Yankees would really, it wouldn't sit well with me. I don't, the only thing that would affect me, I think, is if he went to a National League Central team. And that's not going to happen. He goes to the Yankees. He's going to play a year in New York. And if he plays well, could be the difference between being a first ballot Hall of Famer and not. He goes to the White Sox and plays with Tony, helps along that young pitching staff. That'd be good. Now, I don't know what they're going to do because they've got Yasmani Grandal tied up to a big-time contract. I don't know if they're going to move Grandal to DH and have Yachty catch. Those sorts of things have happened before here in St. Louis. Whitey got his catcher, Daryl Porter, and traded Ted Simmons, so I'm not going to say that it wouldn't happen. But if I'm in the White Sox shoes right now, I think I might rather have Grandal than Yachty. We need to get back to this Almond Joy conversation. Text in 6570. Almond Joy is nuts, by the way, mounds don't. It doesn't matter. The nuts are not the problem. It's everything else. It's the coconut. It's the chocolate. The coconut for sure. Delicious. Who wants a coconut candy? If you could have a delicious Twix or a Kit Kat, why would you choose a coconut candy? Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that. (laughs) I see yeah. what you were doing. I, I just need people to text in 65780 if you don't like Almond Joys, too, because we're only getting positive Almond Joy texts. Should we do a yeah. poll? We just got to make sure that people know. Is that. Almond Joy trash or awesome? Uh, the poll should be, how would you describe Almond Joy? Trash or awesome? A for awesome, B trash. Yeah. Is that the poll? That's I'll put it up poll. right now. Yep. And I think our other poll might be done. Well, it'll be done in just a few moments. So we'll give you the results of that when we return. Because we're going to get more of your reaction. We want to hear your sports nightmares. There are a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, we've got more coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Tony LaRussa, the new manager of the Chicago White Sox. It's Carriker and Smallman, 805. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, one of the things that was mentioned yesterday by Jeff Passan of ESPN is that the hiring of TLR ruffled some feathers in that front office by uh, because of the, the age of Tony LaRussa, and he wasn't the guy they wanted. I think Tony will smooth a lot of those feathers very quickly because of the type of person and leader he is. I would imagine that he'll walk into that organization and command a certain level of respect. Yeah. And I think once people open up their minds to it and give him a chance, he's going to win everybody over. Yeah. He's... I know that people are going to think that he's going to be grandfatherly or avuncular because he's 76. He's not. He's not going to change. You're still going to go up to him. Anybody in the organization say, how are you doing, Tony? He'll say, ask me at 1030. (laughs) And that's the way it's going to work. What's going to happen is that he's going to go in there, they're going to start winning, and then those feathers will go down real quick. Really quick. And he won in his first year here. 806 Time Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Halloween tomorrow, more of your sports nightmares. And for Blues fans in particular, this is a big one. Comes to Pure. Pure got nailed by Nick Kiprios, and that's going to draw a crowd. And Fuhrer injured his knee. He was out for the rest of the playoffs. And the Blues didn't win the Stanley Cup. 
That is one in a long line of blue sports nightmares. Heck, that was, that was one in a long line of that postseason's nightmares. Here's Matt on 101 ESPN. My sports nightmare, I still see Steve Yeiserman shooting that puck from the blue line past John Casey in that playoff series against the Red Wings. I still see that in my dreams. It haunts me to this day. We go into this second overtime. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Oh! Steve Eisenman! Gretzky had it, lost it. <laughs> it was the last play Wayne Gretzky ever made for the Blues, a giveaway in the neutral zone. The great one. Can you Have you ever been to a haunted house? Yes, I have. Imagine if we built a haunted house in St. Louis filled with St. Louis sports nightmares. Oh. So you, you walk in, the first thing you see is that play right there, the Iserman play. Then you round the corner, and all you hear is Travis Ishikawa. Then you're thinking, okay, I got to get out of here. This is terrible. The next room, Big Poppy. That's all it is. It's mm-hmm. just a montage all over the wall of every hit Big Poppy had in the 2013 World Series. Then you're thinking, I'm running. People are chasing me. I got to get out of here. The next room, it's just the Rams room. Them leaving. <laughs> Sam Bradford. The Vinatieri kick. All of it in one room. That would be the scariest building you've ever gone in. Well, yeah, it would be horrible. Horrible. And of course, you'd have to have this. One last try for the Bruins of UCLA to get into the Sweet 16. Knocked out last year in the first round by Tulsa. They don't want to lose this one. Edney going the distance. Yes! So, yeah, we got that text, 65780. <laughs> so Unreal. many. Yeah, it, And it doesn't just have to be St. Louis. Here's John with a mic drop with our Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. John, what do you got for us? Hey, guys. My uh, sports nightmare is effing Derek Jeter cutting that throw off. And why, Jeremy Giambi, did you not slide and curse you guys for bringing this up on a Friday morning? Jeter, what the hell were you doing there? How, do, how does J- Derek Jeter wind up behind first base to take a cutoff throw? It is kind of mean of us to do this on a Friday. Normally, we like to send people into the weekend in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're going to be banging their steering wheels and yelling at their radios because we're making them relive their worst sports nightmares. That is, that's awful. Here's kind I'm of... I'm sorry. Michelle, we're all enthralled by the fact that in 2019, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. The Blues very well could have, and maybe even should have, won their first Stanley Cup in 1991. My sports nightmare is Ron Caron's 1991 trade of Jeff Cortnall and Cliff Ronning for Garth Butcher. Mark, yeah. So you traded your second line. You traded Sergio Momesso, Cliff Ronning, and Jeff Cortnall, in addition to Robert Dirk, to Vancouver for Garth Butcher and... Uh, the defense or the center Dan Quinn. Yeah, that was that was not good. What makes it worse is that earlier in the day, the Blues could have had Ulf Samuelson. They were just looking for another tough defenseman, and they could have had Ulf Samuelson. I believe the deal was straight up for Paul Cavallini, and Karan turned it down because he wanted to go find a number two center. And Dan Quinn didn't really work out for the Blues. And if the Blues would have had Ulf Samuelson in addition to Stevens on that team, man, they would have won the Stanley Cup. But it wasn't meant to be. No, 19 was the year. 19 was a team of destiny. Now, there was another Blues team that had a chance. They won the President's Trophy in 2000, Michelle. President's Trophy, you know what that is? Cursed. 
Best record in the league, though. Yeah, but curse. Right? You don't want that trophy. You don't think so, huh? So the Blues uh, lose game one, but they've got a one nothing lead in game two, and things are, are easing into place. The Blues, they won the President's Trophy. They're a deep, dominant team. And then this. Centering pass, gloved down a midair by Bergevin. How long did he have that puck in his glove? Now the puck's in the net. The puck is in the net. I think Mark Bergevin may have thrown that puck into his own goal. He did. The yeah. Blues defenseman threw the puck into his own goal. And the Blues lost the game. The puck is in the, the net. Yeah. They they won the President's Trophy, and they lost to the number eight seed in the first round. You don't want that trophy. I guess not. You don't. You don't want it. Uh, how about if you are a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, and you know that your time with LeBron James is limited, all right? Mm-hmm. And you have a chance to beat one of the best teams in history. You, you, you've got a lot of good players. You should be able to win that game, right? Unless one of the players that you have, Michelle, is J.R. Smith. Hill misses. Rebound goes to the Cavs. J.R. Smith brings it back out. Throws it to Hill. Hill shot blocked. And we'll go to overtime. You get the feeling J.R. Smith thought they had the lead. He didn't know the score. I think exactly. That's a bad mistake by J.R. Smith. (laughs) He didn't know. If you're a Cavs fan, uh, even though you won a championship, does that haunt you? It would haunt me. It probably does, but I think the vi- the vision of LeBron finally bringing one home to Cleveland, the confetti falling, makes it a little bit easier to digest. Yeah, but still, you'd like to have two rather than one, especially yeah, when it was in the bag for you. Especially you when it. you knew LeBron was, wasn't going to be there yeah. for long. Can I give one to Red Sox fans? Please. They did. They deserve one. All the the sports joy they've had over the year, give them a nightmare. Hasn't always been this easy. Can you believe this ball game at Shea? Oh, brother. So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the now, that was heartbreaking because the Mets won. But now, in retrospect, as we sit here in 2020, the fact that the Red Sox lost, it was good. That is always good. But the boy, did I hate those Mets teams. So it was a nightmare on both ends for me, actually. So, it's a worst-case scenario. Yeah, because then the Red Sox turn things around and they wind up winning four World Series, two of them against us. Ugh. So, yeah. Hey, we appreciate your input, all of your texts. This has been fun. And by the way... Is it fun or is it painful? Well... It's kind of painful. It's kind of bumming me out. Uh, yeah, from the 314, uh, Steve freaking Iserman, and don't ever play the Iserman goal again. You can talk about it, but don't play the clip again. It still hurts my heart. Does it still hurt your heart? I feel better about it now for two reasons. Number one, the Blues won the cup. And number two, if you go back and watch that goal, there was nothing John Casey could have done about it. That was just a product of the greatness of Iserman. So I don't feel as bad about it now, but I still feel bad about it. I wonder if Illinois ever wins a national championship in basketball, if I'll forget 2005. Because I think about some of the Blues things, and mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't hurt as badly anymore because of what happened last year. Or two seasons mm-hmm. ago, I guess now. Right. It does change your 
perspective a lot. It, There's it no doubt. almost endears, the pain is almost endearing to you because yeah. you think, think about the long, broken, painful road that I walked as a fan <laughs> to get to the glory days of a championship celebration. It makes it better. It does, no doubt. Coming up, we're going to find out if Joe Vitale has a sports nightmare. The Blues Analyst joins us next in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The final tally is in for yesterday's candy draft. Randy, Team Randy wins with a 61% take of all of the votes. Team Michelle comes in at 22.3% and Team Scott 16.8%, which is a representative showing for the team that he had. I should have just taken Reese's Peanut Butter Cups first, even though I knew Twix was the right call. I, it's the better candy, but I should have gone with Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, you're knowing trying to that, win the vote, huh? Yeah, trying to win the popular vote. Reese's is the better candy, and that's why Reese's won. Reese's, Snickers, M&M's, Skittles, Junior Mints, Heath, and the, the always tremendous Almond Joy. Blues analyst Joey Vitale is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Joey V, good to talk to you. How are you? Randy, you're not one of those those guys out there that loves almond joys, are you? Love almond joys. <laughs> oh God, oh God, you're the one. So no, we've got a poll up right now, uh, whether it's trash or awesome, and trash is winning by a wide margin. We do find that there is no middle ground on almond joys. Nobody just says "meh" about almond joy. Yeah, no, no. You either, um, you know, I feel like almond joys—they're like wiener dogs. You either love them or you hate them. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. And I, wiener I'm dogs. never a big fan of the wiener dog. You know, they're just like this big, long dog with short little legs. And I don't know, just not my thing. But I know people that have them and they absolutely love, love them. them. Yeah. Joey, I, I take you more as a golden retriever type guy, which is, in my opinion, more of the Snickers, you know, of the dog world. You know, Michelle, you're right. It's just classic. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, and sometimes around the holiday season, we try to. We try to just we try to get too fancy, you know. The Food Network's the that's one of my big bugaboos. They they always try to twist every dish to something original. Sometimes you got to leave things alone. I'll give you an example. I'm going to a, a Halloween get together with some close friends this weekend, and we're going to have a chili cook off, you know. And here I am thinking I'm dissecting the chili. What kind of chili do I want to make? I'm looking at all these recipes. There's pulled pork chili. There's white chili. There's corn chili. There's fondue chili. I mean, it's like. Why can't we just have a nice standard pepper, onions, chili powder kind of chili? You know what I mean? Sometimes we try to overcomplicate things. When you make or eat chili, I, we brought this up yesterday. Do you like the sweet kind? Like, do you put brown sugar in your chili recipe? I don't. I like the fire. I like to bring the fire. And you, you need a little balance. I think you need a little sweet and salt balance in there. But I, I think you got to bring the heat. My big thing with chili, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I am more interested in the toppings on top of chili. Mm-hmm. Like if you can throw some cheddar cheese, mm-hmm. white onions, scallions, Fritos. I'm more, I get more excited about the actual toppings when I go to, like, to a chili cook-off than the, actual, than the actual dish itself. I don't know if you guys feel the Good same play. way. Totally. Yeah, maybe a little dollop of sour cream on there if you're feeling wild, Joey. Yeah, I mean, if I'm in a really kind of crazy kind of mood, I've had a couple... I've had a couple, you know, seltzers or something. Yeah, I'll throw a little, I'll throw a little uh, sour cream on top, too. Okay, Joey, so another topic on the show today is sports nightmares. As we're getting close to Halloween, we're reliving our personal sports nightmare. So I know you have to have one either as a fan or a player. What's your sports nightmare? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to, first of all, if you're a Blues fan, you can't ever look past uh, that doggone Steve Eiserman goal that 
Um, I'm sure you guys have probably mentioned on the show already. That one, I would think I was in fourth or fifth grade. I was up in my my den watching it till 12 or 1 in the morning, whatever it was, and I came in bawling, crying. My mom and dad thought someone died. <laughs> and I just told them the Blues lost. And like, will you go to bed already? So, But that's something that kind of stuck with me for a long time. And he scored on my, my, my good friend, John Casey, who uh, a lot of people don't remember at the time, had like a 102-degree fever, I believe, that night. They weren't sure if he was going to play. I'm sure, Randy, you remember this. Mm-hmm. You remember everything. But he had a bad, bad fever that night. But he ended up playing. He was nailed, too. He played unbelievable all night. And that one just kind of sneaked by him. And another thing people don't know about that goal is that Wayne Gretzky, of all people, was the player that turned the puck over in the neutral zone that set up Steve Eiserman. So uh, people quickly want to forget that. But doggone Wayne Gretzky, he did enough good things in the game. Uh, we can't fault him for that one. But my, um, my biggest nightmare probably was back in 2002. I went down to New Orleans to see the Rams play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It was Mardi Gras. I was in high school. I saw things that weekend I've never seen before. So it was a great trip all around. <laughs> and I was really, I was really hoping it would, it would end on a very high note with another Super Bowl for the St. Louis Rams. Of course, they win it in 99 and take a year off. And they go back in there in 2002 in New Orleans. And I remember being up in the upper deck. My dad got these, uh, I call them cheap seats because they were nosebleeds, but they weren't cheap by any means. I was there with my brothers. We were, for, for somehow we got, we got thrown into a New England Patriots section. Uh, we had our Rams gear on. I was like the ultimate nerd alert fan for the Rams back in the day. I had a jersey. and get this, guys. I was the guy that had the headphones as I was listening to the game while it was going on. Like, I was that big of a oh, geek. You're right? Steve Bartman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there, there was no <laughs> girls going after me down in New Orleans that week. But anyway, so, yeah, we're in, we're in the section. The, the Rams looked terrible all game, lifeless. And then the fourth quarter – Kurt Warner comes to life. And in the greatest show on turf, you see glimpses of it, and they, they come storming back. I think they scored two touchdowns in the fourth. We take the lead late, and, like, everything's looking great. And that doggone Adam Venetary hit that field goal, and we got the worst beer shower of my life. We lose, and I remember just having the worst night and the worst trip home that next day. Uh, that was a tough one for me. That's something I still haven't gotten over. Joey V, uh, Gary Bettman said after the season ended he'd like to play an 82-game hockey season. It's obviously going to be shortened now. Whether it's January 1st, February 1st, you've played You've played the, the big schedule. Is there any way that the Blues or the NHL could play 82 games at this stage? You know, I don't think so. Just for the, just for the sake, as everyone knows, uh, we're, we're up against the clock with the Olympics next summer. And I think that, you know, with NBC having the rights to that, you know, starting in July, you know, the, the date that kind of keeps getting thrown around about the NHL having to have things wrapped up is June 30th. But I think that's a pretty realistic, a realistic goal. So um, even if you were to play beyond that, let's just say the ESPN, who's going to be taking games the next year, let's say that they work out an early deal where they can get games. You know, you, you worry about uh, how relevant games are going to be at that point with the Olympics going on, the, the opening ceremony. So I think, I think it should be in and out before June 30th. And when you have a look at, listen, when you're looking at a February one date to start, and that's if we're, you know, we're, we're thinking ambitiously here, you know, it's just, it's impossible to get 82 in with a playoff format. I think you got to hold the integrity of the playoffs in place. You got to have four rounds of best of seven. You can't shorten the playoffs. So the only thing really to shorten, is going to be the regular season. I think you go back to 2014. I was a part of that lockout. We had half a season. We started, I believe, I looked at the date the other day, it was January 19th, I believe. We were able to fit 48 games in. So, I mean, that, that was pretty ambitious back in the day. So you're looking, if the, if the league starts even a little bit later, let's say February, 
and we played 48 games with starting a little sooner, I mean, guys, we're, we're looking at, I think, 50 to 60 would be really pushing it. Um, and I think, I think that that's what it's really going to come down to. I, I can't see the games going over 60. I just, with, with starting that late and what we went through in 2014, only playing 48 after starting mid-January, uh, still having the integrity of playoffs. The Chicago Blackhawks won, and I believe, really late June that year as well. So I really believe that 60 number. I just don't see games going over that mark. Joey V, have a great Halloween. Thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate you. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Have a great Halloween. Be safe and uh, eat lots of good candy and stay away from those almond joys. Jesus. <laughs> oh, everybody can just give theirs to me. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. Yeah, you, won't, you'll, you'll have, you won't have a long line of people right there. Okay, have a good one. <laughs> See you later. That's the great Joey Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Joey's kind of our food expert here on the show. He is. Yeah, and just regular food. He clearly doesn't know his candies. You heard it first from Joey Vitale. Trash, Randy. Trash. Hmm. And the poll seems to be agreeing with me. Uh, but didn't I look up yesterday that it's like the number nine selling candy bar of all candy bars? Well, I have the pull up right now at M. Smallman. And right now, 74% of people voting say Almond Joys are trash. Not awesome. Well, I'm saying they're awesome. And I am going to, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Let me just find how many candy bars they sold last year, okay? Let me, uh, here we go. They sold uh, 60 million units. 60 million of the regular Almond Joys, and that doesn't even include the ones that were given out for Halloween that people threw away. (laughs) (laughs) 60 million units of a bad candy. It's great candy. What's the the number one and number two, and how many units were sold of those? So the regular Hershey's bar. Mm, S'mores. Yeah, clocks in at nearly 250 million bars uh, sold per year. Dang. And then uh, the Reese's, it doesn't give us a number right behind that. The cups? Classic cups? Uh, no, it's the Reese's Bar. The Reese's Bar? Yeah, which That's is delicious. Awesome. And dangerous. So It can get you up to 270 pounds in a blink. Are you going to be day. eating those now that you're off 75 hard over the weekend? I'm going to oh. bring them in in the morning. I'm so jealous. <laughs> coming up, we've got the fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. And boy, do we have a great fight for you on deck on this Friday. Just to recap, yesterday, Jake was Randy's challenger. Both Randy and Jake got all four questions correct. It went down to the tiebreaker, and it's either whoever gets it right or closest to the pin. And Jake missed the answer by, I think, four. He was so close. So he won. He was the victor, which means he gets to come back today, challenge Randy again, and he's one step closer to the Fight Hall of Fame. So Jake is with us again. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Michelle. How are we doing? We're doing great. Have you been riding high on your victory since yesterday? been riding high on my victory since yesterday. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I love that. I love that. Well, Jake, I have to tell you that if we get back to the tiebreaker question again today... We're putting a time limit on it. You're going to have 10 seconds to answer the tiebreaker question to make I both of you react quickly. So just get all four correct. Don't even have to get to the tiebreaker, okay? Let's do it. All right. Jake, question number one. 
How many World Series has Tony La Russa won as a manager? Three, four, or five? Three, two with the Redbirds, one with the A's. Jake coming out swinging. Question number two, Jake. Who is second to Tony La Russa in the most games managed as a Cardinals manager? Is it Whitey Herzog, Red Shane Deanst, or Mike Matheny? I think it's Whitey. Let's go Whitey. Question number three, Jake. Since 2015, how many times has an NFC team won the Super Bowl? Note, this includes the 2015 season. Is it one, two, or three? All right, so 2019 was, oh, wow, how did I forget who won it? Chiefs. Okay, so Chiefs won. Year prior to the Chiefs was the, how can I not think of this? I do the same thing, Jake. Yeah, it's hard to remember things, Jake. Right? I'm trying to back it up. All right. Okay, so 40, no. Okay. Do you want to remember? Yeah, I'll give it to me one more time. I was going to say, maybe that'll help. Since 2015, including the 2015 season, how many times has an NFC team won the Super Bowl? One, two, or three? 52, 51, 50. So 50 was Peyton, 51 was. Patriots, 52, 53 was Patriots, 52 was Eagles, that's one, 54, one, Eagles, Philly. That is incredible, Jake. (laughs) Now, final question (laughs) for you. Where did Matt Ryan play his college football? Was he at Duke? Say that again, Jake. Boston College. Okay. Jake knows his stuff. Let's check our score here. Yep. All right. Randy is in for another battle royale with cheese. Randy, as you get settled in, say hello again to Jake, who, as we know, defeated you yesterday in the fight. What are you wearing, Jake? Randy, this is a show for kids. Jake Jake from State Farm. How you doing, sir? Khakis. Good. Good, Megan. Mind how we doing this morning? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Always. Kids are listening to Randy. They're going to school. Okay, Randy. Just a heads up. Jake brought the heat again today. Good. I like it. So this is going to be a tough one. Question number one for you. How many World Series has Tony La Russa won as a manager? He has won three. Question number two, Randy. Who is second to Tony La Russa in the most games managed as a Cardinals manager? I believe it's uh, Red Shandienst. Question number three, Randy. Since 2015, how many times has an NFC team won the Super Bowl? And there's a note here. This includes that 2015 season. So the 2015 season which is the year the Rams left. Um, So you had, was that Denver and Carolina? I think it was. That would make sense because 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, because Peyton Manning would go into the Hall of Fame. So you had Denver. And then 16 would have been, well, let me just try to figure it out here. 16, I think you had New England. Uh, you, you've had Philadelphia win in that time. I'll just go through. Have you had anybody else? You, you haven't had the Giants or the Cowboys or the Redskins. Uh, you haven't had the Niners win. You haven't had the Cardinals. Seahawks, did they win? No, they won before that. So the, they won in the 14 season. Um, so uh, then in the 
in the South. You haven't had Atlanta or New Orleans or Tampa um, or Carolina win. So who am I leaving out? North, South, East, West. So I believe the only one would be Philly. Who who won last year? Um, See, this is bad that I... This is what happens when you get old. Is you Jake remember. had the same thing. Yeah. It's hard to remember. Yeah, don't feel bad, man. Yeah. Um, so you didn't. If you think uh, about San Francisco it. lost to whoever they played. You yeah. know. Um, but I can't tell you. Oh, okay. So what's your final I, answer? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Philadelphia is the only one. Okay. Final question, Randy. Where did Matt Ryan play his college football? He played. At the school that's going to play Clemson this weekend, Boston College. What a fight, but we have a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Randy just flexing his mega mind. On this fight, he had a tough opponent two days in a row, and Jake. Jake brought the heat, but Randy, as you heard Jack Buck's voice, got all four correct. Jake, you got three. So I'm going to tell you which one you got wrong. Let's run through our answers. So Tony La Russa has won three World Series as a manager. Randy, the years, would you like to give them? He won in 89 with the A's and then 06 and 11 with the Cardinals. Correct. Uh, second... In, on the list to Tony La Russa and the most games managed as a Cardinal manager is Red Shandies. 14 years, 1,999 games. Since 2015, one NFC team has won the Super Bowl. It was the Philadelphia Eagles over the Patriots in 2018. Chiefs won last year, Randy. Oh, yeah. That's forgettable. <laughs> oh, yeah. That team in our state. That team. And Matt Ryan did play his college football at Boston College. Jake, you were a great competitor to Randy. Thank you so much for playing. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jake. Have a great weekend. We do appreciate Jake joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the former Cardinal pitching coach, Dave Duncan. And what's he going to do with Tony Larusa with the White Sox? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And it's always great to welcome to 101 ESPN and the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, the longtime Cardinal pitching coach, three-time world champion, of course, the father of our late great teammate, Chris Duncan. Dave Duncan is with us on 101 ESPN. Dunk, it is great to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing? Good, Randy. Good to be with you this morning. And uh, we, we appreciate your time. First of all, obviously, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is because Tony Larusa is back managing in Major League Baseball with the team that you two were with, the White Sox. Are, are you at all surprised that Tony is finding his way back into the dugout? Not really. Uh, you know, I think he enjoyed uh, what he was doing in the front office uh, uh, quite a bit, but uh, that that burning feeling of managing uh, never left him, and and uh, I think this opportunity was perfect for him. Uh, uh, it's a it's a good ball club. It's a young ball club. Uh, they have good management at the top of their organization, and and uh, I think Tony's going to be a good fit there. I think he's going to really uh, uh, help that club. Uh, you know. 
they talk about the difference in the age and everything, but uh, these young players, they're going to learn stuff from Tony that, uh, that they may really, uh, profit from, uh, just from his experience of, of being with winning ball clubs, helping put those together. And, and, uh, the Chicago White Sox are right on the brink of being a really competitive team. Dave, when Tony got the job in his press conference, he said that his heart is always in the dugout. And even though we know you're not going to be joining him with the White Sox, do you feel that pull too? I really don't anymore. I think I've had some physical, uh, problems. You know, I had some cancer issues, uh, uh, about four or five years ago, and that really slowed me down a lot. I, I don't, I'm not as able to to do the things physically that I was able to do before, and and I think that's kind of made me realize that my days in the dugout are done. Dunk, one of the things that we remember about you in the dugout is your massive binders and your knowledge of the opposing hitters. And I know people say, well, Tony is not an analytics guy. And I've always said to people, Dave and Tony were analytics before there were (laughs) analytics. That's my belief. uh, Tony's going to get numbers that he's had for a long time, right? Tony is very analytic. You know, even though we, we had to do it by hand, where now that it's all done on computer. So Tony's very interested in as much information as he can get about the opposition without getting bogged down in it. He knows exactly the information that he feels like is, is necessary for him to help him make decisions. And that's the information that he wants. I think what, what he's going to get now is, is probably a, a more, uh, a, quicker response to things that that he's interested in than than maybe he was able to get before but um you know it, it's like you said we we did the analytics we we had uh lined up exactly what information we felt like that we needed uh to 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 help the players help the pitchers uh and help make decisions during the course of the game the only thing is we did it by hand you know, I mean, uh, we had to accumulate that information by hand, which was a little more time consuming. Dunk, we learned so much from you, either by watching you or a- as fans with access, being able to to talk to you. We we learned so much baseball. And the first thing that went to my mind in game six of the World Series the other night when Kevin Cash took out uh, Blake Snell was, what would Tony and Dunk would have done? So now that we have you here, what would you have done if you had Snell throwing like he did the other night? It would have been very difficult for me to recommend taking him out of the game at that particular time. He he was he was in total command of that game, and um, I don't know, boy, that that I know that was couldn't have been an easy decision. Um, and, and, but I, I I don't think I would have uh, voted to to take him out of the game at that particular time. Dave, one of the things that people are saying about Tony La Russa coming back to managing is they're wondering how he's going to connect with the modern-day player, whether it's bat flips or being vocal about social issues. People are wondering if that's something that might be an impediment to him in connecting with these players. What's your reaction when you hear people say things like that? Well, a couple of things. In, in regards to the social issues, everybody's entitled to their opinion, you know, and uh, you know, whether it's on one side of the issue or the other side, but everybody's entitled to an opinion. 
and and a lot of their opinion is based on uh, their life experiences. Uh, so um, that being said, um, people don't realize that Tony has been in baseball since he left as a manager. So he's been in those clubhouses. He's been in communication with the players, with the, the staff. Uh, uh, he he he's not. Uh, going to be thrown back into a situation that he hasn't been in for the last eight, nine years. Uh, he, he's been in uh, the front office, yes, but still, he's still associating with the players. He's on top of uh, the changes that are being made in the game. And, and uh, Tony's a smart guy, you know, uh, and he's a good communicator. And any issues that might be there i guarantee you tony will have dealt with well before they have their first day of spring training former cardinal pitching coach dave duncan with us on character and smallman on 101 espn dunk one of the common denominators among the teams that you guys had here and i'm sure that it was this way with the white Sox and with oakland was your players really despised losing. And I I got that from Tony. You get it every day because you ask him how he's doing. And he says, ask me at 1030. (laughs) Do you you think that the players (laughs) hating losing is a product of the the, the guys that you acquire? Or does Tony have a lot to do with that? Well, I think Tony has an influence on that. Uh, But you, you have to create that atmosphere. And it's not so much hating to lose as it is wanting to win. You know, uh, I mean, you, you, you got to really be hungry to win games and, and uh, understand uh, exactly what you have to do to, to be a winning player or a winning team. And, uh, you know, I think Tony does a good job of, of, of identifying the little things that are important uh, in putting together a winning team and creating that at- attitude uh, of wanting to win and being upset if you lose, you know, I mean, unless you just get beat, if you get beat, you get beat, but um, you certainly don't want to do things uh, to help the other team beat you. You know, you don't want to beat yourself. And that's, that's a lesson to be learned, you know, things that you can do to, to limit the uh, uh, times that you do things that, that affect you in a negative, negative way. Dave, a player that certainly embodies that mentality is Yadier Molina. And we don't know what his future is going to be, whether it's going to be in St. Louis or with another team. But if another organization called you and said, hey, you've had a front row seat to Yadier Molina's career, uh, to a big portion of it, what makes him so valuable? What does he do with the pitching staff that makes us need to go out there and sign him right now? How would you describe him? Well, I I think that from the early part of, of Yachty's career, he understood how important a catcher can be to a pitching staff. And his communication with the pitchers uh, was outstanding. He developed the kind of trust that a pitcher needed to have in a catcher, in his catch, in their catcher. And uh, th- that was a very important thing for Yachty. He took, he took every game um, from the pitching standpoint, as if it was it was his game as much as it was the pitcher's, and he took responsibility for for doing the things that that he needed to do to to be able to lead each individual pitcher through a successful outing. And uh, he knew he he got to know every little thing about every pitcher 
you know, their, their, their makeup, their, their physical abilities, what they could do good, what they didn't do so good. And, and he, he really knew how to apply it to, to the game. I, I thought he had the best instincts and I, I, I had some good catchers. I had Carlton Fisk and I had Terry Steinbeck and I had Ron Hassey who were all really good catchers, Pagnazzi, um, you know, they, they were really good catchers, but nobody was, nobody was in the same league, uh, with the or Molina. And, and I hope he does, uh, finish his career with the Cardinals. That would be important to him. And I think it would be important to the franchise. If he doesn't, because of his knowledge of Tony and because he's a veteran Latin player with so many young Latin players on the White Sox, does that, is that a match that would make sense? Well, it would, uh, he, he would he would be good for any club, and, and uh, of course, White Sox have a young, uh, some really great arms that are young guys that 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 need leadership. So he would be a good uh, uh, match. But they have Grandel over there, and they they gave him a huge contract, and they have another kid by the name of McCann who is an outstanding catcher, uh, really good uh, at all facets of the game. Of course, he's a free agent, and may he, there may be an opening there uh, for a second catcher in Chicago. So, yeah, I mean, he would help any club, you know, I mean, from, from the standpoint of handling the pitching staff. Well, Dave, if we're asking about Yachty, we should ask about his partner, Adam Wainwright, who's they've been together for so long. What was it like for you to watch Adam Wainwright do what he did for the St. Louis Cardinals this season at the age of 39? Yeah, amazing. It was amazing. Every time that I uh, had an opportunity to watch him, I watched him. And, and uh, you know, uh, with everybody throwing 100 miles an hour now, uh, he was he was. Uh, had a style of his own. He never threw two pitches the same speed back to back the the whole year, probably. And uh, I, I think it worked to his advantage. He was smart. He recognized that that there was a way with what he was capable of doing. Doing there was a way he could make it work, and and he did. And I I, I just um, was amazed at uh, uh, how well he did it all year long. Dave, you've consulted for several teams since you retired from the Cardinals. I can't imagine that Tony Larusa is going to manage and not have Dave Duncan be a part of it somehow. So, in what way would you feel like you'd be best be able to contribute to what the White Sox are doing under Tony Larusa? Well, I, I don't know. You know, I, I worked for the White Sox the last two years, and of course, when the uh, pandemic came in, uh, they they pretty much let everybody that was a, a peripheral employee uh, go. So they, they did not renew my contract for this coming year. So I don't know. You know, uh, I think if Tony sees that there's something there that he thinks I could uh, help, the club, he may offer me an opportunity. And, and uh, depending on what it is, you know, I, I probably would take it. You know, but we'll see. It'd be great to have you in the game. Hey, we we have to tell you this. uh, I know you know this, but uh, as a player, Chris made such an impact on this community, but more so as a broadcaster because people got to know Chris. And Chris Duncan is a beloved character in St. Louis sports history. We adored him here, but his listeners, they miss him so much, Dave. And you should be so proud of the way that Chris is remembered as a broadcaster by the listeners of this station and the St. Louis sports fan. 
Well, I, I am very proud of Chris, not only as a broadcaster, but as uh, just a person and a player for the Cardinals. You know, he was an important part of uh, that team. And I, I don't think we win a championship in 06 without him. But um, I think of Chris every day. You know, I mean, I miss him a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I know that that he was he was very popular popular on radio in St. Louis. And finally, we know that we read Rick Hummel's piece the other day. You're getting a chance to spend some time with your grandkids these days. <laughs> yeah, I have an 18 month old daughter that I'm just crazy about. She is really something special, and I've got a a, a new grandson who's a, a little over a month old. So, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to be around the little ones. And then two, and I've got two grandsons that are eight years old, twins. So it's fun to watch them play play baseball. They get out in the backyard and head off the tee, and you know, and it's it, it's great to watch young kids. And they they've got the best teacher there ever was, Dave Duncan. It's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. We do appreciate it. Have a, a great day, and hopefully, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. We'll see you later. That is the great, the greatest pitching coach in the history of the game, Dave Duncan on 101 ESPN. Great to talk to Papa Dunk. Great to hear him on our airwaves again. We miss him. Yeah. We miss Chris, too. And there is no doubt that whatever team has Dave Duncan on their side is better for it. Whether Tony has him just a phone call away every day or whether you you bring him in occasionally to work with pitchers or have him in, in at spring training, there's no way you can't be better if you have Dave Duncan in your employ. Couldn't agree more. And Tony and, and Dave Duncan are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. And to your point, when you asked him, it's hard to imagine Tony LaRusso being a manager without having Dave Duncan there with him. Yeah, it's uh, they are peas in a pod, no doubt about it. Coming up, it's today's big thing. We want to know what you think is the greatest feat in Cardinal postseason history. What's the greatest feat in a game in Cardinal postseason history? We've got a poll up at our Twitter page, and we're going to provide those Feats to you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 907 running a little late. Good reason for that because we had Dave Duncan on and he was great, wasn't he? It was so great to hear from Papa Duncan. What great insight he had on Tony LaRusso. No surprise there, though. I'm sure that he'll have input as well on who the White Sox pitching coach will be, and I see that Derek Lilliquist has not picked up a new major league job since the Nationals fired him. Lilliquist, of course, was the Cardinals' bullpen coach under Tony before he became the pitching coach under Mike Matheny, so that wouldn't be a surprise to see Lilliquist wind up there. But I did ask you, Michelle, during the break, what would you think of Chris Carpenter as the pitching coach for the White Sox? I think it would be a great hire. I would hate it personally because... You want to keep him in the fold in St. Louis, but we know that the Cardinals are dealing with financial issues and that Chris Carpenter isn't, at the moment, employed by the St. Louis Cardinals. So he's out there for the taking. We did tell you it's 9.08. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's our last day for this date in Cardinals postseason history. Bob Gibson, who set a new National League record for earned run average this year, 1.12. Got him! Listen to the crowd. Was his 15th strikeout. Once again, a standing ovation. A new World Series record. He got it. Struck him out. 
the field. McCarver, the first one. Now his infielders all over him. A new world's record of 17 strikeouts in one game. And today, Michelle, we are looking at the greatest single-game feats in Cardinal postseason history. That, of course, Bob Gibson's 17 strikeouts in Game 1 of the 1968 World Series against the Tigers. That's a pretty impressive feat that has not been matched in Major League history. Yeah, I would say so. That is a pretty impressive feat. It's going to be tough to beat that one. How about 1982? The Cardinals won the World Series in 7 against the Brewers, and Willie McGee pretty much won Game 3 by himself. One out. Hit high and deep to right field and more going back. McGee will touch them all. A three-run home run for rookie Willie McGee and the Cardinals jump in front three to nothing. McGee should try and drop a bunt down. Look out. Uh Uh-oh, that's two for McGee. Another homer. What a day that kid's having. catch he made Willie McGee Willie McGee with the bat and with the glove has been a one-man show tonight two home runs two over-the-wall catches by Willie and that wins it for the Cardinals in game three against the Brewers in 82 I just said this about the Bob Gibson feed I don't know how you topped that one this is going to be a tough decision well how about something that only two other guys ever have done one by Babe Ruth, one by Reggie Jackson, and then one, at least to this point, by Albert Pujols. That is hammered into left. That ball is absolutely murdered. Crushed by Pujols. And that makes it 11-6 here in the sixth. The Cardinal fans know him. Here's one into left center field. Back at the track, he's got another. And more respect. As he's hit a three-run shot, now a two-run shot. And the Cardinals lead it 14-6 in the seventh. And he hits me, and here goes one in the left. How about three on the night in a row? A three-run shot, a two-run home run, and now a solo blast. And Albert Pujols has tied Reggie Jackson with three home runs against the Rangers in game three. And then, of course, the next year, Panda got Justin Verlander a couple of times against the Tigers for the Giants, and he became the fourth, but Albert, the only Cardinal to hit three home runs in a World Series game. Do you remember that feeling, watching him crush balls? Yeah. Just how dominant he was. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so that would be tough to beat, too, wouldn't it? You would think. But then you, you have this one. You have Chris Carpenter against... Philadelphia. Ground ball to the right side. Puncho has it. And running over, and the Cardinals have done it. The St. Louis Cardinals. Improbable in making the playoffs. And Ryan Howard is down. He is hurt. Halfway between home and first base. Michelle, that was one of the all-time spectacular performances in baseball history. It was... Chris Carpenter, it was his opponent and his best friend that night, Roy Halladay. The Cardinals down in the series before coming back to win it three games to two. And that Chris Carpenter performance, a one nothing victory. He went all the way, obviously, and he allowed three hits. He didn't walk anybody. He struck out three. And 
he he delivered the Cardinals into the National League Championship Series by himself. And as I am talking, I am going to our 101 ESPN Twitter feed right now to cast my vote for that moment. Because while all of these were great, I will never forget where I was watching that game. I will never forget the drama and the tension and the anxiety with every pitch and every second and every play of that game. Other than Game 6, 2011, that Game 5 NLDS Carpenter Halliday is the best postseason game I've ever seen. That was a pretty incredible performance. We'd love to have you vote on our Twitter page right now. All you have to do is go to Twitter and go to the 101 ESPN page. And thanks to our friends at Woods Basement Systems because they were fantastic uh, sponsors and partners throughout the course of the month in bringing you the greatest moments in Cardinal postseason history. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, what's killing you? You're killing me, Small. Some big news coming out of college football, Randy. We've been so busy to having great conversations with Dave Duncan, talking about our sports nightmares, talking about Tony La Russa being hired as the manager of the White Sox that we haven't even gotten to this yet. But big, big news in college football. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, the school announced and he did as well that he tested positive for COVID-19. This means he's going to miss Saturday's game against Boston College. And one of the bigger questions surrounding this is, will he be ready for the Notre Dame game? And his status for that game still remains in question. The Boston College game has been taken off the board. The betting line not available at the moment. But I can't imagine that Clemson would have any trouble with BC with or without Trevor Lawrence. The issue, Michelle, is going to be if he isn't available or if he's not able to practice for the Notre Dame game. Quietly, Notre Dame is fourth in the country. Mm -hmm. They're off to a great start, and they dominated a Pittsburgh team. Coming into last week, Pittsburgh allowed a yard and a half per rush. They were the number one rush defense in college football, and Notre Dame shredded them. So I kind of think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a necessity for Clemson's game against Notre Dame. And I would be surprised, and I know the protocols are different for each conference, but wouldn't you be surprised if Trevor Lawrence didn't find his way onto the field for that game? You would think so, but Clemson follows the CDC's prevention guidelines for contact tracing. So this means that there's a 14-day quarantine period for any player who is within six feet of an infected person uh, for more than 15 minutes without a mask. So basically, Trevor Lawrence tested negative on Sunday Clemson is testing players on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So the question is, when did he start showing symptoms? When did he test positive? And how does that factor into the window? So he could be right on arrival that he could be ready for that game. But as you mentioned, probably no practice. But he could end up, depending on the window, being right at the precipice, being ready for that game. And so it's actually better for him to test positive than to be around somebody who was he be within six feet of somebody who's positive where he would have to quarantine for 14 days. That's right. And we don't know about other players yet. They're going to be tested today, I believe. So you, you could have more positive tests. This could be, as we've seen with a lot of yeah. teams and a lot of unfortunate situations in sports where you have more positives come up right now. But all we know as of now, Trevor Lawrence not going to be available versus BC. This disease is unbelievable, isn't it? It is. The and effect if- that it's had on the world. And if you're college football, there's really only a few people that you would say, hey, this might disrupt this. There's there's a lot of players that 
could be subtracted from the equation for a team and college football could continue rolling on. But when Nick Saban gets it and Trevor Lawrence gets it and all of a sudden you're having these conversations. I mean, we saw Nick Saban on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. It didn't really affect Alabama that much in that way. That's but, the SEC, though. Correct. Uh, but there, this is going to have a lot of complications potentially if it does impact the Notre Dame game and if Notre Dame ends up winning that game for the playoff committee and those discussions. Although I know that they take injuries into account, I can't imagine that even if Clemson ended up for some reason losing that game to Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, that that's something that the committee wouldn't take into you consideration. No doubt. And you're 100% right. If Before the season, People would have asked us to name the five people, five most influential people in college football that if they did contract the disease, they would affect the sport the most. Two of them out of the five and maybe the top two or two of the top three, because my three would have been Saban, Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence. Correct. They definitely would have been in the top five. I would have said Trevor Lawrence first because he's playing the Mm -hmm. game. Nick Saban second, Dabo third. Yeah. Amazing. Anything else killing you? We're killing people today. Oh, we are. You're killing me, Smalls. This is a city that's had a lot of sports joy. When I think about all the amazing things that I've experienced in my sports life during my time as a St. Louis sports fan, I feel very grateful. But today we were talking about sports nightmares, and it really has hit me that we've dealt with a lot of pain, too. A lot of pain. We have had several, several segments where we have been discussing different sports nightmares that we've had. We've revisited Big Poppy. We've talked about the Steve Eiserman. We've talked about 2005 Illinois basketball. Sam Bradford, the Rams leaving St. Louis, and on and on and on. But I know people have been texting in, contributing to the show all, all day, Randy. We haven't even scratched the surface, really. No, we haven't. There is an old adage among coaches that... The losses hurt more than the wins are exhilarating. And we remember the losses. And so we're asking about your sports nightmares today with the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Tim has checked in. Blues, Sharks, Game 7. Owen Nolan scores from half ice after Roman Turk jumps over the puck. Sports nightmare. Nolan comes up with it. He's got Lowry on his left. Owen tees it up from center. It's good! With a blast from center ice, off Turek's glove, and it's silent at Keel Center. Yeah. <laughs> silent. Oh, man, that franchise. What if the hand pass game would have been the thing that derailed them? How high up on the list would that be? Uh, that'd be right there, way at the top. If they go on to lose that round. Yeah, then I would be into my third page <laughs> of why we're cursed. Hey, but you know what? We aren't the only ones. How about fans of the Oakland Raiders? Oh, yeah. Blitz. Lost the football. It's on the ground. Covered by the Raiders. His college teammate, Charles Woodson, on the blitz. It's a fumble. The Raiders have the ball. They're going to win the game. They're going to face the Rams in Super Bowl 36. Not so fast. After reviewing the play... The quarterback's arm was going forward. It is an incomplete <laughs> Second and 10 on the 42. Wow. One of the worst calls in NFL history. The so, tuck rule game. So bad, the tuck rule game. Unreal. That keeps you up at night. Oh, yeah. And if the league doesn't want to give the Patriots that Super Bowl, which they did, clearly. I mean, 2001, it was the Patriots, right? Yeah. So if the league doesn't want to give them that Super Bowl, the Rams 
will play either them, the Raiders, or Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. It was just crazy. It was, it, it it's criminal what they've done. But the, the league, you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They are, as Bernie used to call them, a cartel, right? Yes, correct. Now, there are some things that break the heart, cause of others, cause consternation in their lives, cause them to have nightmares, things that haunt people throughout the course of their lives. And those very same things can cause absolute unmitigated glee <laughs> for others. And this is one of those items. Again in the air, down the left field line. A reaching into the stands and couldn't get it. He's livid with a fan. That's awfully close to fan interference right there. The umpire's all over it. The umpire right down there, Mike Everett's on the play. If Alou has to reach into the stands, it's fair game for the fans to catch the ball. If the fan reaches out over the field, then it can be ruled fan interference. That is very, very close. Yeah, Steve Bartman's hands were in. So this has caused a lot of nightmares, Michelle, a lot of consternation for Cubs fans, but a lot of unabated joy for Cardinal fans over the years. Until I saw Catching Hell, the 30 for 30 mm-hmm. on Steve Bartman and how horrific that situation was for him. You want to talk about a sports nightmare? Imagine being Steve Bartman, who's just a fan who loves your team so much that you've got the headset in and you spent a ton of money to watch this postseason game and have a great seat to it. You are so invested in your team that you 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 go to that game and you have the headset on and here you are just natural human reaction and you become the goat in a bad way and his entire life has been traumatized by this he didn't even want to participate in the doc he doesn't even want to go to Wrigley because he just wants to live his life anonymously after this he did get a ring in 2016 though yeah but do you think that that takes everything away that he's it. that he's had to deal with no from those terrible cubs fans that made his life miserable. That is that is probably the ultimate sports nightmare. That you are mm-hmm. a fan like that, and then with without even suspecting it, in the blink of an eye, just doing something that probably everybody else would have done in that moment, that you all of a sudden are the punchline. And Moises Alou Bulletin, you weren't going to catch it whether or not Bartman <laughs> had any interference at all. You were not going to make that play. You weren't good enough to make that play. No. But it's easier to... Yell up in the stands. Yeah, it is. Yeah, blame somebody else. They're going to try that again in Chicago, I think. That's fine. It's good. (laughs) Uh, That's your Killing Me Smalls. Great stuff. Thank you very much for participating today on this day before Halloween, by the way. We've got so much response on, on sports nightmares. We could do this some other day and get more response. I think people like talking about nightmares rather than great dreams. We've had a lot of great dreams, too, though. We've been pretty lucky. Pretty lucky. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Mike Kelly, the voice of the Missouri Tigers, who take on Florida tomorrow, will join us here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Tomorrow night, Mizzou is at Florida. The Tigers trying to pick up their third win of the year, go over 500. Michelle here, Randy here, and on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the voice of the Tigers, our longtime friend, Mike Kelly. Michael, good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It's great to hear from you. Uh, well, let's start with this, and you've always talked about this. Here we are in uh, late October. 
the the trip to Gainesville is better than the trip to Ames, Iowa. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a no brainer, my friend. It's, it's better than the trip to Manhattan. It's better than the trip to Lawrence. It's better than the trip to Stillwater. It's better than the trip to Norman. It's better than the trip to Waco. It's better than the trip to Lubbock. It's better than the, well, I don't know. Austin's pretty close. Uh, Eighty four degrees. 84 degrees in Gainesville. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's even better making that trip, Mike, when you're coming off big wins versus Kentucky and LSU. So how do you think the mentality is for this Tigers team as they head in to take on a pretty strong Florida team? You know, Michelle, uh, first of all, uh, I don't know how you put up with character each and every day. Um, You know, obviously, those of us that have known him for 20-plus years know he's an acquired taste and always have been. Uh, But we love him, love him to death. That's right, we do. Uh, But we've been asking Joan that question for a number of years as well. So, uh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. What was the question again? Just how how do you think Mizzou feels coming off two big woods versus LSU and Kentucky as they head in to face a tough Florida opponent? Yeah, you know what, I think uh, I think I can answer that from a, from a couple of points of view. I think as players, um, you know, they they feel like they they they're making progress each and every week, and that you know they're correcting things during the work week, um, and they're paying attention to detail and putting their best foot forward in terms of preparation. Um, I I don't know that Missouri will win the game on Saturday. I do think they'll play better. They did the last time that they, and the only time they played on the road, which was in Tennessee, they they, they simply didn't play well. And, and I think that you know the first road game in the season, and this, and then dealing with uh, you know the distractions that COVID provide, uh, I, I think that, that 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 all paid dividends or, or all played a role in, in what took place. From from Eli Drinkwitz's standpoint, and that of the coaching staff, um, I think that you know. Uh, the win against LSU provides a level of credibility for what they're trying to do as coaches with this program. The win against LSU just added a layer of credibility in terms of you know what what they can uh, you know how they can use this program as they try to build it you know not only this season but beyond from a recruiting standpoint. So I think Missouri feels pretty good about where it is right now, uh, but uh, you know obviously a huge challenge this weekend. Um, you know, playing Florida, and, and I'm anxious really to see what Florida's going to look like. And, 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 and you know, how, are they going to be in rhythm like they were offensively the last time out on October the 10th against Texas A&M? Are they going to better be better defensively than they were against the Aggies on again October the 10th? And, and I wonder how much, how much they were able to 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 really kind of stay cohesive during the time in which they were shut down. Uh, you know, we saw the Tennessee Titans come back after what a two-week uh, uh, layoff and, and play pretty well the first time that, that they came back on the field. But uh, you know, obviously the, the professional game is much different than the collegiate one. Mike, uh, in the game versus Kentucky, one of the big takeaways was Mizzou's defense, their best performance of the season. But how do you think they're going to stack up versus that Florida offense with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts? Yeah, Florida's a mismatch nightmare on on multiple levels. Uh, Tony on the outside, Kadarius Tony out of Mobile, Alabama, is a guy that he's their leading receiver in terms of number of receptions. He's a guy that can make a bad play good in a heartbeat. Um, you know, tremendous speed, you know, great route runner, catches the ball in traffic. Um, so that's that's a difficult deal. Um, you know, and then, you know, Pitts the tight end 
Kyle Pitts is as good of, of, of a tight end as, as, as there is in college football and, and is explosive as a player at that position uh, as, as, as I've seen in, in, in a number of seasons. And so uh, that's a matchup nightmare because he's 6'6", six, six, uh, 255 you know, pounds, and he runs like he's you know, a defensive back. So, um, and, and they have the ability to run the ball too. But, but it all starts with Trask, who big arm. Uh, we saw that two years ago when he came off the bench when Missouri won down at the at the swamp. Um, and a kid that that really has matured as a quarterback. The voice of the Tigers, Mike Kelly with us on 101 ESPN. He'll have the call on the Tiger Network tomorrow night, the Tigers at Florida. Mike, when we talk about what the Tiger defense has done and the fact that they've been able to implement an offense that obviously has different personalities, whether it's throwing the ball against LSU or running it like they did last week against Kentucky, no spring ball, very few practices during training camp. What Eli Drinkwitz and his staff at least to me, are doing is pretty amazing. It, it's not easy to implement a yeah. new program like they're doing. No, I agree. And, you know, Randy, um, really early on, um, when, when they opened up, you know, training camp, uh, I was anxious to get out there and just kind of just get an idea of what practice would feel like. Um, you know, Gary Pinkle was a guy that, that or is a guy that believes that, you know, practice should be well organized. There should be little wasted time between periods. There should be a lot of teaching that takes place, and and, and that's exactly what I saw uh, from the word go. And you know, they they had what three practices in the spring. Everything else is pretty much just uh, you know Zoom calls and things like that. And to see the really efficient way in which they operated practice, but then the amount of teaching as I walked around the field and, and paid attention to different position groups, seeing these guys teach um, really kind of just took my opinion to a whole different level because it's a, it's a really, really high-quality teaching staff. Mike, what do you think this team can become? Obviously, you talked about recruiting for future years, but you, you've seen a lot of Tiger teams. You know what the talent looks like. In, in this conference this year, what should we reasonably expect? What's fair to expect from this team? Yeah, and you know what? I, I don't want to sidestep the question, but, but, but I, I, think, I think simply put, it, it, it's I don't know. Because of COVID, we don't know from week to week um, you know, what, what things are going to look like. I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence tests positive. Um, and you can't tell me that that young man was not responsible about the way that he handled his life you know, off the fields and away from the facilities in terms of trying to prevent um, getting getting the virus. Um, you know, it, it's a team that, you know, obviously has gotten better. Um, you know, there are, you know, some, some injuries that are starting to, to, to creep up. I mean, you played the last two games about Darius Robinson, Kobe Whiteside. Uh, in the shortened season, do they return? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the, that remains to be seen. You've got some, some guys that were banged up last week on the offensive line. Um, you know, Connor Bazelak has been very, very impressive, but history shows that there are going to be games where there are growing pains. Um, when does that take place? Um, you know, I, I just think there are a variety of different factors, Randy, that, that, that I don't think I'm in a position yet to answer that question because I just don't think that we have all the facts on a weekly basis. Um, well, 
And, and that's, and I don't want to sidestep it, but that's kind of just kind of the way, at least I, I, I look at things right now. No, and I, I think that's completely reasonable. It's hard to ask that question that I just asked with the question before, with the fact that they didn't have any time. When you, when you don't have a, a non-conference schedule, when you, you don't have time, it's really hard for a team to develop a personality. And I'm like you. That's why I asked the question, because you're around the program. But it, it's hard to develop or see a personality of a team when we really don't know what the, they can become because we just haven't seen enough. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and you know the other side of it is, is you know they're probably further ahead of where I thought they would be. Maybe let's let's attack it from that point of view. Um, you know, I, I did not think that they would beat LSU. Uh, I didn't think the game was going to be in Columbia either. Um, <laughs> you know, do they have do they have winnable games ahead? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they they have winnable games ahead. Mississippi State on the road in Starkville in December is a winnable game. Uh, you know, certainly going to, you know, playing playing Vanderbilt is a game that, that, that you can win. Traveling to South Carolina is a game that you can win. Arkansas is a game that you can win. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not at all looking by what Sam Pittman and Barry Odom have done with that program, which has been really nothing short of remarkable as well in the, in, in the first several weeks of the season. Uh, Georgia is going to be a difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. Georgia is going to be a difficult challenge. So, can this win team get to 500 or maybe above? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but uh, by the same token, you know, they have to continue to, to improve each and every week. Uh, they have to be able to stay healthy each and every week, both from a from just an injury standpoint and from a COVID standpoint as well. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I, 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 more and more I'm around this staff. And again, I was not around any of these guys. Um, I mean, if you count the number of Tiger Thought shows that I've done with Eli Drinkwitz, since he was hired, I've been around him seven times, hmm. um, you know, in person. Um, so, and that's five times doing it, only two times prior to the season. I'm getting the note for the first time on Thursday night because they're bringing in individual, they're bringing in position coaches as part of the show. So I'm getting to meet these guys for the first time. Right. You know, COVID, COVID did not allow us to, to develop relationships. Um, and, and I and I just have to tell you, person by person that I'm meeting, these are some impressive dudes, man. I mean, just sincere, hardworking, good people that you know have have had a variety of different experiences in their past. And and, and I'm just telling you, friend to friend, uh, and, and based on what I've seen in the past, these are some really good guys teaching the sport. Uh, when you watch him in practice. Looking forward to tomorrow night. We'll be tuned in. Tell Lori that I said hi, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. We'll do. Take care. All right. right. See you, Michael. That's the great Mike Kelly, voice of the Tigers on 101 ESPN. Certainly seems like Mizzou made the right hire. Yeah, and a staff that... In addition to Mike, what Mike says, good teachers, good people, but they've won in the SEC before. A lot of these guys yeah. were champions with Auburn in 2010. So there are a lot of things to look forward to with Mizzou football. Danny Mack is going to join us. We'll cross things over towards Scoops with Danny Mack coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We've got Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. The weekend is here. Halloween awesome. weekend. 
Halloween weekend. This used to be a really big weekend in my house, and not so much anymore. I, I think I might have an empty household this weekend. Really? Not even going trick-or-treating. Stinks. Yeah. I miss the little guys running around with their costumes. Me too. And I, every year I would put on a wolf hat, mm-hmm. like a, a you know a little get-up, and my dogs would jump on me. Thinking I was a dog or whatever I was, but they would they would growl and come after me. Well, that's so, great. I mean, I still have it. It's in my closet, so I may have to get that out this weekend. But no trick or treating for me. Are your kids oh, still dressing up? I don't think so. They're too old now. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the age is. At what age do you say I'm too cool for this now? I'm just going to go to a Halloween either. party with my friends. It's sad. Makes me sad. I wonder how many people. I'd be curious with the text line if. If you guys have asked this, I, I'm serious about this. Will there be people handing out candy? Or are they just saying, ah, this year we're going to sit this one out? Or parents sitting this one out? Which I get. I get all of it. But I wonder if that's going to happen this year. We've got giant bowls and we've got the candy bagged so that kids can just come by and pick up a bag. Pick up a bag. Yeah. You're not going to ask for a trick or a treat? No, uh-uh. Not mm-hmm. even going to open the door, I don't think. We might be sitting on the porch so yeah but socially distanced of course we'll see hand sanitizer could be a good uh, giveaway well, a good this idea. year yeah, yeah i'm sure thought the kids about would love that little tubes of hand sanitizer <laughs> i saw yeah. something on social media where someone had constructed a chute almost like a laundry i thought that was a brilliant idea yeah. yeah so danny the recurring theme throughout the course of this show because of halloween has been what is your sports nightmare We've had a lot of people talk about what their sports nightmare is, and there have been a lot of them over the years. Dinkinger oh. call. Dinkinger was mine. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. The, the, what were the, the other ones? You. This may, well, uh, you got Iserman. You've got uh, the Rams losing Super Bowl thirty six. Yeah. St. Louis losing the Rams. Yeah. That's that's up there. Bergman throwing the puck into his own net. But I love Burge, so it's okay. I'm going to let that one go because okay. he was funny. Travis Ishikawa. David Ortiz. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a Friday. I know. I have a but good it's a Friday here. before Halloween. Yeah, we're trying to get spooky. All right, all Sorry. right. Ooh. It's a theme. I, I would say the Dinkinger call for me. It's a bad one. All right, the next thing. Your take, and I know you'll have this on your show, on TLR in Chicago with the White Sox. Haven't changed since it got brought up. I think it's great for baseball. I mean, you talk about drama, and you talk about a storyline, you talk about... Um, fun, how much fun it's going to be when the Cardinals face the White Sox. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I, I know he's getting pounded by the media, especially in Chicago. We're going to visit with David Kaplan coming up, and um, I talked to Dave last night, and we'll visit with him on the show, and I was uh, booking him for the show. I said, what's it like up there? He said, oh, he's getting killed. I read uh, a bunch of stuff. It's bad. Oh, it's he, bad. He's, he's getting killed, and, and um, I, I still think, though, he can get the job done because the team is so good. It, it you know, when you have those kind of players, you're going to win. They're going to win if they play a full season. Tony and Matheny nineteen times. Randy, you're asking me about TLR, and we're going to no, stick. I'm just with saying that. they get to manage against each other. That'll be cool. The the, the yeah, teacher and the saying. teacher and the student. That would be. I haven't thought about that one. I I, th- I was thinking more about just the whatever. How many games the Cardinals play with Mike Schilt? Those two became very close and are very close. I I think that's fascinating. Um, I know the number one thing is, can he relate to the the player now? I I think that's probably the number one question. Mm -hmm. And my answer is yes. He's going to walk into the clubhouse. He's going to have instant credibility. A lot will have to do with, in my opinion, his coaching staff 
which then, okay, who's the guy that's taking over the infield? Who's the guy that's the pitching coach, the hitting coach? Who's dealing with your outfielders? And Tony is kind of the CEO of that. And I I think he can be fine with it. I I really do. And in reading a lot of stuff coming out of Chicago, I think the biggest thing that I found missing there is that no one talked about his pedigree and the fact that this guy wins all the time. And we spoke to Dave Duncan earlier in the show, and he said, these players are going to learn a lot from Tony Larusa. It's going to be beneficial for them to have him as their manager. And in, in terms of dealing with, with like the the Latino players, he's he speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. He's fluent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all of a sudden you're just boom, 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 boom. I mean, you're, you're talking to everybody that the communication lines will be open in that regard. And then I, you know, was thinking about bat flips. Um, I don't know. Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson dealing <laughs> with Jose Canseco. Hell, I, I called a lot of games in which Albert Pujols stood at the plate mm-hmm. and then kind of flipped his bat. If you win, he'll adapt to what he's got. He's a chameleon in that way. Yeah. In a good way. No, I I have very few doubts. My only concern would be at the age of seventy six. Does he have the energy to That's do it? That's my concern. That's uh, from a baseball acumen standpoint. In terms of like you say, being a CEO, no question whatsoever. But it's such a physically uh, because I I talk to you all the time during the season, and I know how taxing a baseball season is for a broadcaster. With what Tony puts into it twenty four seven. And the, not only the, the physical stress, but the mental stress, mm-hmm. is he going to be able to handle the way he has to manage for 162 games? That would be my number one question. That was it. So you're, you're 76, and I, I know he's been traveling with teams, because he always travels, too. Mm-hmm. You know, He was traveling with the Diamondbacks in uh, Boston and, and the Angels. I guess he was doing some limited travel with them. Um, that would be my, my question. You know... It's one thing to travel when you're the guy that is not making those decisions. It's the next to live with him the next day when you are the guy. Yeah, there's a big difference. And um, and as much as he wants to win, I know he wants to shove this up everybody. <laughs> I, he does. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure he's hearing these comments, and you know that that oh, yeah. that fire is burning to say, okay, I'll show you. Here yeah. you go. And he's got the tools. They're, they're a very good team. And I know that he would love to get the band back together. I, I would guess McKay will wind up there. I would think Joe McEwing will remain on that that's staff. That's my thinking was. I'm going to ask Dave about that. I would think that maybe that's the kind of... Because Joe is very close anyway to getting some managerial jobs. Including the one here. Well, yeah. he, at least he interviewed for it. So maybe it's a one or two year deal. And, um, and you know, McEwing then under watching Tony. That's kind of the mm-hmm. final chapter for him and his resume. And now he just kind of... It just slides right in. Could yeah. happen. Yeah. It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Looking forward to the show. Dave, Dave Kaplan's always fun to listen to, and you're always fun to listen to. Oh, that's so kind of you, Randy and Michelle. Michelle didn't chime, uh, chime in, but that, thank you, Go ahead, Andy. Michelle. Seconded by Oh, thank you. Uh, one of our time all-time favorites, by the way, DV, has a birthday today. How old is he now? 84. 84. Yep. Probably still sharp as a tack. He, uh, I texted him, happy birthday. He said... You're so nice to remember the old coach. So he's, uh, the he's best. still making the wine, and he's doing great. He's feeling good. And uh, How's his vineyard with all the fires? Uh, yeah, it has not been a, a good couple of years there. It, it, no. but they're, they're still grinding away, but yeah, it, it's not where it should be, unfortunately. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Okay. So, 
Have a great weekend, guys. You too. Thanks. All right. Scott Manziar, our producer engineer. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks, Randy. Have a good weekend. Michelle, I'm taking off Monday. I know that you and Dan are doing the show together on Monday from 7 to, well, Dan will be here to 11, but 7 to 10. So you have a great weekend and a great Monday. Thank you, Randy. And Happy uh, anniversary, right? I was going to say, you're taking off because of your anniversary, right? So enjoy your Uh, day. Yeah. November 1st is the actual date. Uh, obviously, because the Cardinals were regularly in the playoffs That's in October right. back in those days. So I didn't want to have that interfere. Not a rookie season. mistake. You're no, a veteran. Uh-uh. That's a veteran play. And then, if you'd like a little tidbit of information, because we like history uh, on this show, uh, November 2nd of 1986, the Philadelphia Eagles visited Bush Stadium to take on the Big Red. Greg Garrity tackled at the one-yard line to end the game, and the football Cardinals were able to hang on for a victory. Well, that's great. Well, so you're going to be celebrating both. The, 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 the tidbit of information <laughs> is that I produced a football game the day oh. after I got married. I just thought you were celebrating the win and yeah. Oh, yeah, it was your marriage. Yeah. What a honeymoon, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> the romantic. honeymoon was the next week because this is the way Randy rolls. The football Going Cardinals. In San Francisco. The Cardinals were playing in San Francisco. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I got you. I know how you roll. You know. I know how you roll. We both roll that way. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till... Monday morning for these guys at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.